everybody, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. This is season four, episode two, and this week we're actually going to talk about the idea of codependency, whether the pop culture idea of it sort of tracks with the psychological idea of it, and whether either of those tracks with how the polyamorous community tends to use it in our writing and talking about it. Um, So I'm happy to have you along for the ride. Before we get into that, I just want to remind you that you can always find us at the blog on uh, www.readyforpolyamory.com or at Patreon at www.patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. I want to take a second to thank our patrons, Corwin, Jacqueline, Rachel, and the Green Wolf Podcast, who are great and keep the lights on here, and we are super happy to have them. If you'd like to join them, you can check out the Patreon. There are different uh, benefits at all the different levels of patronage, Uh, and if you happen to enjoy a particular episode of the podcast or blog post and just want to give a one-time tip, we also have a Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash readyforpolyamory. I refuse to pronounce it coffee, even though that's what all of their marketing seems to suggest that you should do. The spelling does not. Um, So onward to today's episode on codependency. This is an idea that gained a lot of sort of pop culture uh, steam in the 80s and 90s, even though it gained a lot of Uh, sort of psychotherapy steam in the 70s. And in psychotherapy, it's very specifically applied to people who are with addicts in particular and have um, very deeply entwined relationships with folks who have addictions and they um, gain a lot of their self-worth from the caregiving uh, that they do within their romantic relationships with their partners who are struggling with addiction. Um, And so they get stuck in this cycle of being unable to get out of relationships that are sort of actively doing damage to them and uh, the rest of their life around them. And so this became this big pop culture phenomenon uh, when a book called uh, Codependent No More came out in 1986. And the subtitle of that was how to stop controlling others and care for yourself because this book had like a workbook section and was super victim blamey uh, to the folks who were stuck in these relationships and these folks were portrayed as mostly women who were kind of doing a lot of caretaking for mostly alcohol addicted men um and it was this kind of shitty pop culture phenomenon uh, that had started out as this pretty specific psychological term, but gained this broader sense of folks who 
lost themselves within relationships in a more general way, right? And so it became this thing where people were kind of self-diagnosing as codependent throughout the mid to late 80s and early 90s. Um, and I think a lot of us, uh, or at least a lot of us who had uh, parents or friends' parents who were still single or divorced and dating, um, may have heard folks kind of self-diagnosing in this way uh, as we were growing up. And this book talks a lot about people having, like this is a quote from it, an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others or a tendency to confuse love and pity and having a tendency to love people they can pity and rescue a tendency to do more than their share all the time. Uh, we'll do anything to avoid the feeling of abandonment and have an extreme need for approval and recognition, right? So you had a lot of folks who might have had either trauma history or like difficult relationship history, self-diagnosing with this idea of codependency and thinking like these various self-help things that were growing up really rapidly in this late 80s, early 90s time period were going to help them a lot. And the reason that I'm bringing it up on this podcast is that the polyamorous community, and I've done this a bit in my writing too, because it's become kind of a trope, uh, has co-opted this term and started using it for folks who get deeply entwined in primary partnerships or in pre-existing monogamous partnerships or pre-existing nesting partnerships and work themselves into a position where they're not really sure how to have hobbies and relationships outside of their other partner. Um, and I know that I've written about the step that you need to take of sort of disentangling yourself from your pre-existing partnership if you're opening up a monogamous partnership for the first time. And we often, when we're talking about that process in kind of this pop culture polyamory discussion of it, describe this as you know, you need to rid yourself of this bit of codependent monogamous conditioning to make sure that you're kind of independent, self-actualized people, right? And these concepts and the way they're treated actually don't really have anything to do with this original psychological idea. We're not trying to imply that anyone who has just over the years developed a lot of enmeshed hobbies and friend groups with their partners is secretly necessarily dating someone who is bad for them or that anyone who is extremely enmeshed with their partner one of the two of them must be a rescuer and the other a person who is manipulating and playing a victim card or the two of them taking turns 
playing those roles for one another, as codependency theory sort of suggests that they are. And we're not suggesting necessarily that, like, they have the same root causes, but the reason I think pop culture polyamory has adopted this word is some of the other issues that are identified in this Codependent No More book about the way that some of this manifests, which is things like guilt when asserting yourself, difficulty identifying feelings, especially negative ones, rigidity in adjusting to change, problems with intimacy or boundaries with one's partner. These are things that people who are in this phase of, well, I'm trying to figure out how to open up, but often are having issues with. So us identifying them as being in a somewhat codependent phase and trying to undo that process is in a way kind of appropriate in that sense. And so when you look at it from that point of view, you could consider that this is maybe an appropriate tack for us to be taking or an appropriate kind of window for us to be looking at it through, right? So when we use it in this kind of uh, pop culture understanding sense that polyamory uses this word or throws it around in, what we're saying is, okay, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do as an independent person, but because you're so deeply enmeshed, you don't know where any of your boundaries around this person, like around yourself regarding this person are or how to uphold them. Because you've just for years said, I don't have any boundaries around you. We're functionally one person. And that in and of itself isn't super healthy relationshiping. And we're using this particular term to identify that feeling for those people. So I guess the point of this episode is pointing out the history of this term and the ways that it might not be the best term for us to continue using going forward. I'm trying to use it less, even though out of habit it sometimes slips out still. Basically, this kind of original medical definition in and of itself isn't really used anymore because there was only ever one sort of psychometric standard that existed to apply it, but there are a whole bunch of definitions of it that all vary pretty widely and only have in common this fact that they all applied to addicts and their caretakers. And outside of the original medical definition, it's basically used when caring and loving impulses move into a sort of enabling and stifling space and partners don't give each other space to breathe. 
the whole idea isn't meant to pathologize caretaking. But as we've all understood, there's a certain amount of autonomy necessary for polyamorous relationships to run successfully. So we can't demand sacrifices of our partner selves to the point that we're subsumed into a single unit. And so it might be a more helpful approach in general to kind of look at this through a lens of attachment style or generally to say that we're viewing personal autonomy as the goal and caretaking as an optional acti like an optional activity that we own our own time from and we can say okay I can caretake partner A X amount of my time. And when you put it that way, sometimes it kind of sounds ridiculous. Like X amount of my free time or date time is going to be spent caretaking my partner. But that's often literally what it ends up being. I know as someone who has a disability and who had some major surgeries last year, a bunch of my sort of alone time and date time with my partner was functionally sort of caretaking time for a while last year because I was a mess, right? And I needed emotional and physical care. So that wasn't a bad thing. It was just a matter of if he wasn't going to be there for care, then that wasn't time we should have been spending together. So, if we're going to look at it in this other kind of point of view, we can... I think previously codependency was the lens that polyamorous folks chose because attachment styles were so rigidly monogamous that it didn't seem like there was any reasonable way to apply them. And the more recent application of them in a manner that is more accessible to most polyamorous folks especially through like the book Polysecure so that lay polyamorous folks can read it and gain some understanding of how to, across different relationships, apply the idea that you might have different attachment styles in different relationships and at different points in different relationships can make this idea of, okay, well, I'm behaving this way with this partner because they're avoidantly attached and I'm anxiously attached. And so we're both behaving in this manner. How can we help each other build a secure attachment? As opposed to going, oh, well, we're just really codependent. And that's the way our relationship is. Because often that ends up, I think, to a lot of people feeling like 
well, I have to go away from all of my relationships and work on myself for a really long time to make myself less broken <laughs> in much the same way that some of these other pop psychology things can sometimes make people feel a little bit like they're the problem. So with attachment style, because in its modern iteration, it's applied in a matter, like in a manner that is kind of understood to be changeable and understood to be flexible and under your control, right? you can do things to build secure attachment within these relationships. You can, relationship by relationship, individually build up secure attachment where you're looking for it, and in relationships that aren't going to be attachment-based, understand that and sort of leave them where they lie with the understanding that that's what you're doing. And I think making that choice consciously instead of just going, oh, no, I'm just too codependent in this relationship to build any other firm ones, that's all, plays a lot worse inside your own head and makes you feel like a lot more of a failure than going, oh, no, I've made these choices. But maybe... I think maybe it might all be a point of view thing. I really like picking points of view that allow people to have a positive internal sense of themselves at the end of it. And so I think twisting away from codependency versus being more independent as how we look at it and toward well, it's an issue of interacting attachment styles and how we together choose to manipulate them over time and whether we can do that productively or not with the amount of time we have with people uh, makes more sense. Basically, It's one of those things where point right after it was invented or shortly after the concept was invented, the medical concept became kind of muddied. And then after the medical concept was muddied, the pop culture concept became so popular that it escaped into the public imagination and became further diluted. And then we in the polyamorous community got a hold of it and slightly changed its meaning for our purposes. So we took it from meaning, well, we just lose our personalities into relationships and therefore need to not be in them for a while until we're very secure in our sense of selves 
and instead said, oh, it means we're too inclined in one relationship to be able to build multiple at once safely. And if we're going to look at that last one and try to figure out a new lens to view that situation through, we can see it as secure and insecure attachments and how many secure attachments we can build at a time or want to build at a time and focus on it that way. And in general, we can look at it in the sense of if we know better than we did previously, we can do better and we can improve the way that we talk about some of these issues so that going forward we give folks better tools to look at their relationships and uh, move their communication forward, right? So in general, learning about the history of some of these concepts has certainly helped me uh, decide what words and ideas I want to use to discuss these going forward, and I hope that it's been kind of interesting to hear about them going forward for you too. Uh, so with that said, uh, there's going to be a couple of links in the show notes, uh, but just to sort of general resources about this, and uh, some links on the blog that are related. As always, the blog is at www.readyforpolyamory.com. You can find the Ko-Fi at ko-fi.com slash readyforpolyamory. The Patreon is at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. Our intro and outro music is by the very talented Vince Conaway, who you can find at vinceconaway.com. Uh, and I think that's it for now. I'm a little bit scared to announce any upcoming speaking engagements because of Delta um, and uh, everything isn't until deep enough in the fall that I'm worried about it. So have a safe week everyone and I will see you next week.